Hello and welcome to the Local Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Johnson. The Local Leaders Podcast provides a platform for successful business owners to share their stories, their experiences, their advice, and their ideas in order to help our listeners achieve more success in their business and in their lives. Get ready. Another great show is coming up. Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Local Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Johnson, and I am thrilled today on a Monday morning to bring to you uh, Tim Baldwin from Front Street Brewery. Good morning, Tim. How are you doing today? Hey, good, Jeff. How are you? Doing fantastic. Thank you very much. And uh, we're just excited that uh, you're up early up over there in Idaho uh, to talk to us. Iowa. Where did I get Idaho from? <laughs> I, I got my eyes right. but Hey, I uh, wouldn't mind being in Idaho. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful part of the country. But uh, yeah, well, we're in the middle I, of the cornfields out here in Iowa. Well, as is Iowa, though, that's a beautiful place for any of us who, um, you know, to have an opportunity to see those sites. But uh, I digress and I apologize for that. But Front Street Brewery uh, in Iowa, we've got Tim with us this morning and we're uh, we're thrilled to have you and just kind of looking forward to, to learning more about Front Street Brewery and uh, hoping maybe you could start us off by sharing, sharing your story, your experience and kind of building this business. Yeah, uh, sure. Thank you, Tim. Sure. So, you know, I'm, I'm not the uh, I'm not the guy that started this business, but uh, time young couple started this in 1992, uh, Steve and Jenny. And uh, Steve was an engineer, uh, uh, Jenny a homemaker, and uh, uh, Steve had this dream of, of getting in the beer business. So uh, they, he kind of tossed uh, his, his career aside and uh, they built this uh, brewery. It was the, the oldest brew pub license in the state of Iowa. The only uh, older license in the state is Millstream Brewery, and they had a, an actual brewery license. So uh, we were the brew pub. They were the brewery. Millstream, I believe, was around 1986 and, and Front Street in 1992. Uh, so Steve and Jenny opened this little uh, pub and eatery up. And uh, Steve would brew beer uh, in, the, in the wee hours before the restaurant was open. He had quite the uh, quite the contraptions to get his equipment and uh, product down into the basement level of this building where he did the brewing. Uh, we still have remnants of the old crane that he used and uh, he used to remove sections of the floor uh, to haul uh, materials and grain downstairs. Uh, the basement was full of tanks, brewing equipment, and so forth. And uh, they were a traditional brew pub. They, they brewed uh, beer on site. They, they poured the beer on site. They poured it right out of the tanks. And uh, that's what they did for the longest time. Uh, unfortunately, that, that location, which we still operate today as our pub and eatery, is located uh, on what used to be known as Front Street in downtown Davenport, Iowa, as many river towns uh, have front streets along the river and um we're we're on the banks of the mississippi river and uh if you if you know anything about uh, the midwest and the mississippi you know that it floods often and uh and uh we have not been able to escape that here so open in 1992 uh i think uh late 1992 and in july of 1993 there was a devastating flood in downtown mm. davenport and um the building uh, succumbed to the floodwaters after days of battling the flood. Uh, customers, friends, neighbors, everyone was down here, you know, manning sandbags and pumps, and uh, and they were doing everything they could to keep the river out. 
and finally it uh, it just succumbed to the waters and uh, the place was destroyed. So Steve and Jenny, who had uh, basically walked away from jobs, uh, poured their life savings into this business, were, were devastated and, and almost bankrupted them. They brought some investors in, helped them uh, recover, and they uh, they opened the place back up and they've been going strong ever since. And uh, as a tribute and a thank you to all those that helped attempt to save the business from the flood, Steve brewed a beer. Uh, it's a West Coast style IPA, a single hop IPA that he named Raging River. And uh, it's become one of our flagship beers, uh, still on tap today, 30 years later. Wow. And um, it's, uh, again, it was a tribute to those that helped uh, try to keep them from coming to the flood. So uh, they operated that business, uh, lived through a couple more floods, uh, nothing as devastating as the first. And in 2012, uh, it just, uh, it just, things got too busy. Uh, it was very cumbersome trying to do the work the way they did it for all those years in the basement. Uh, so Steve, uh, decided to move just four blocks West of our location here, also still on the river to a, a city owned facility called the freight house. And it is what it sounds like. It's an old rail freight house. So in 2012, uh, Steve decided to, to, uh, relocate the brewery to the freight house, uh, in downtown Davenport, also on the river. And, uh, set about uh, designing his own brewery system. And uh, he, had, he had taken his designs to a couple of local contractors and no one uh, was really able to produce what he uh, had envisioned until he stumbled across a company called Crawford, uh, Crawford Company. Crawford is a, they were a large uh, industrial HVAC company. So they had a lot of experience with bending metal and round metal and all those kind of things. And in Steve's mind, he thought, well, heck, these guys ought to be able to just make bigger round pieces of metal. So he met with Crawford and uh, sure enough, uh, they were able to help him develop the brew house that he had envisioned. And so uh, he deployed that system. It's a standard three tank system. Uh, and it is now the, the granddaddy, the prototype to uh, all of the systems that Crawford Brewers now makes. Uh, that company saw the opportunity and with Steve's help launched a new division called Crawford Brewers. And today they build uh, uh, brew systems, very you know top of the line brew systems that uh, are are sold around the country, and I think in fact worldwide with Steve's help. And I think Steve continues to consult with them on those uh, systems in his retirement uh, days. So Crawford themselves actually opened up a small brewery here in town. Uh, they used to use our facility as the as where the place where they'd bring their customers in to demonstrate the their system. But um, uh, over the years, they've, they've uh, improved on the system and everything's all digital. Uh, ours is a, a manual steam gauge system, we'll call it. And uh, my brewers prefer to use that rather than the all digital systems. So mm -hmm. they built their own brewery to, to highlight uh, their equipment. So we've got a great relationship with them. It's great that, uh, that Steve was able to, to help them launch that business. And I, I'm told it's around 15% of their business now is building these breweries. And they're a big company. Wow. So wow. that's nice. kind of cool. Yeah, that's a really cool, cool part of the story because, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, taking taking his expertise and, and launching a whole new business basically for yeah. Crawford. So thanks for sharing. Yeah, you bet. So my uh, my business partner and I, this of course, all this has taken place long before uh, we had any interest in brewing business. And, uh, you know, I really, you know, and let's see, I meant to back up and say that uh, – Front Street was the oldest brew pub license in the state of Iowa. At that time, Front Street was also the 300th craft brewery in the United States. Uh, that list has grown today. Uh, I think we're over 10,000 now. Uh, I mean, heck, we're over 100 just in the state of Iowa. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, we go back a, a long way. And uh, 
and those beers that Steve brewed have been being brewed that entire time we've been in business. So one thing that, uh, that Steve never did was distribute any of his product. So he brewed it, uh, he, he poured it now at the new location, the brewery and taproom location. He had removed all the brewing equipment from the pub and eatery location so his wife could expand the restaurant operations. And then he sent the beer via distribution down to the restaurant, but never did he distribute his beer to others. He also was a bit of a purist. I mean, he's a real brewer's brewer. And um, his wife would bug him all the time to do things that were a little bit more drinkable for your average restaurant goer. So things like uh, a cherry ale or something along those lines, which Steve absolutely hated uh, putting his name on, but it, they, they'd sold well in the restaurant. So his wife was always on him about that. But anyhow, uh, they kept going along like that for a while. And somewhere around uh, 2014, a couple of years after Steve opened up at the Freight House location, a couple of guys uh, approached uh, myself and my business partner. I I'm a real estate developer. Um, I'm also, uh, I've got a passion for old buildings. I've, I've done several uh, rehabs of some uh, recognizable historic buildings in the Davenport area. And a realtor friend brought these two guys to us who were looking to start a new brewery in Davenport. And um, they, they came to us. So he brought them to us because we have these connections to these old buildings. And they were looking for some lofty kind of old brick buildings that they could use. Uh, to build this brewery out and you know we kind of racked our brain and, and really didn't come up with anything other than our office building which i'm talking to you from right now uh which happens to be a, a historic three-story building uh right next door to the front street pub and eatery and we had a, a first floor space that we had, had gutted and and uh would made a really cool brewery but we had developed this relationship with steve and jenny uh you know we were right next door so we eat lunch there often and we just felt like we needed to talk to them before we put a new brewery in right next door to him. So mm -hmm. had that conversation with Steve and he said, you know, it's more, yeah, absolutely. The more the merrier. He said, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll all just be busier if we have more breweries down here. So, okay. So started down this path. Again, I knew nothing about the beer business. My partner and I knew nothing about the beer business. We weren't even craft beer drinkers, to be honest with you. Um, and uh, went on this uh, kind of journey with these two young guys and um, learned a lot about this business and a lot about the business side of the business. Uh, of course, developed a passion for craft beer along the way. And um, uh, when we got to the point of, you know, just deciding to pull the trigger, we, we went back and talked to Steve and Jenny one last time because uh, one of the things we weren't going to do in this new brewery was have food. And mm -hmm. given that we're literally 10 steps out our door to Front Street's restaurant, we wanted to have a conversation with them about some sort of a, a through wall agreement for food. And we sat down with them and had that conversation. And they said, you know, why don't you just buy the restaurant and put it all under one roof and open your own brewery and have your own food. And we're just going to go up here and make beer at the, at the freight house. And we said, okay. So we headed down that path. And uh, as we got closer to uh, the day we were going to close, uh, Steve Partners came in and, and basically wanted more money. And uh, we said, well, that's not going to happen unless we take it all. And that, you know, that's kind of history there. We, we ended up buying uh, the whole, the entire business, uh, brewery and all. So we never did open the new brewery. And, um, again, after having learned a considerable amount about the, the business side of the brewing industry and, and the craft beer industry, I recognized the opportunity to distribute our, our, our products to the public, not just to our, our own, you know, pub. And, um, so we, uh, we closed in May of 2016, really nothing changed, uh, uh, other than the fact that we started developing relationships with distributors and started distributing 
some of the products that sold very well in the pub and eatery. One of them happened to be a cherry ale, uh, which we branded Cherry Bon Blanc, and it has become uh, it has become an enormous success. It had, it 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 really blew our brewery up. Today uh, we've got uh, I think we have four or five beers that we that have their own brand wrapped around them and sell at retail at grocery stores and liquor stores. And of course, everything we produce, we, we keg and sell through uh, bars. Cherry Bon Blanc has been a top seller in our market. It hit the market. Uh, oftentimes, uh, well, first of all, it's the number one selling craft beer in the, in the Quad City area, we call it, and has been since it hit the market. Oftentimes, it, uh, it surpasses uh, some of the, the, the big name beers that are sold into this market uh, every, every so often. So it's carried by uh, some 500 locations uh, around our area here in this, in this greater area of about 500,000. And it's just, been a, it's just been an amazing hit. So we've expanded throughout Iowa. Uh, and into Illinois, uh, we have uh, three primary distributors selling our product. Over half of our our beer production, uh, all of our canning, and over half of our total beer production is now done at Potosi Brewing Company in Potosi, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, Potosi is the home to the National Craft Beer Museum, and um, they are a nonprofit uh, organization whose only goal was to uh, employ the town of Potosi and Tennyson uh, by opening this brewery back up. It's run by a, a fantastic guy uh, who is in the insurance business. And, um, um, and the, the, the coincidental thing is that Steve, uh, in his early days, before even opening Front Street, Steve actually, while he was working his job at the nuke plant as an engineer, Steve would drive to Potosi and brew for them. Uh, so, he brewed Potosi beers very early on and even continued to brew Potosi beers after Front Street uh, was open. And so we've had this 30-year relationship with Potosi. Uh, we're now their number one customer. They've had to expand their operations uh, several times. In fact, uh, Wednesday, I'm going up there to see the new canning line and new uh, tanks and the um, new filtration system and uh, uh, everything they've put in to support uh, our uh, beer production. Um I'd say Potosi is uh, uh, brewing two to 3,000 barrels a year for us, uh, which is more than half of our total production, the balance being done at our brewery and at the freight house. Um, we tend to send the production uh, beers up to Potosi that are heading out to distribution and retail. And we, uh, our brewers, uh, get to um, have fun and experiment and uh, produce the IPAs and do all those types of things here locally that, that go out to our, our local bars. I, I was about to ask you that question. So you preempted it uh, perfectly because I was, I was curious as to, to what work went there versus what you kept in house. So thank you for, yeah. for sharing that. Well, you know, for quite a while we used a mobile canner. We just don't have a, enough space at our, our operation here in Davenport. So for, uh, for a long time, we used a mobile canner who would come in and, set up shop before we, we would open the tap room and we would, you know, uh, can, uh, you know, three to 600 cases of beer and get him cleaned up and out of there before we open. Mm-hmm. And it worked. Um, but, you know, Potosi's got the kind of operation that, you know, they can produce, you know, thousands of cases of beer a day and um, do it a lot more efficiently than we could. 
and a product that is uh, better suited for the retail market, including you know filtration and pasteurization, which we didn't have the ability to do here locally. Um, and with the volumes of uh, Cherry Bon Blanc that we've been selling, uh, there was just no way for us to keep up. So, so that's kind of uh, that's kind of the nutshell uh, story of how we got where we are. Um, we uh, uh, again, I think the thing that makes us different than a lot of our our friends in the brewery business, that's uh, myself and my partner, you know, we were kind of the financial guys, the business side of things. And we looked at this really as a, a business play. Um, and it's been a, a very successful one. Um, there's, there's great money to be made in the beer business if you do it right. Um, and smart. Um, and I, and I, I totally respect my peers in this business who have built these breweries out of their passion for brewing and beer um, but it's a different model than ours. Um, not that our brewers aren't passionate. In fact, uh, the two guys that approach us, one is no longer uh, a partner and the, the younger of the two is, um, you know, my partner and I are, are 50 plus and our young partners, you know, 27 years old and, uh, he, he lives and breathes the brewery and that's what he enjoys doing. And, um, but, uh, you know, he gets to do what he loves, which is brew beer and get it out the door. And, and we get to do what we love, which is, turn that into a, a, a business model that can generate uh, a profit. And um, I think that's, that's really the difference in the approach that we take. I know everybody wants to be profitable. It's just that not everybody knows how to be. And um, I've, I've been called a, a serial entrepreneur my entire life. I've, I've owned bars and restaurants, uh, grocery stores. Uh, I came out of the technology business during the dot-com boom. Um, a real estate developer, and that's my primary business, which I've been doing for you know 20 plus years. Um, you know, we own a we own a gun shop, an indoor shooting range. Um, um, you know, all, all sorts of things we're involved in, but uh, we have the most fun with the beer business, that's for sure. Um, we're very tied into our community here. Uh, we support uh, everything that happens and goes on downtown. We we usually, you know, sponsor beer and, and do all those types of things to make sure. Um, front street is front and center. And, um, we're in, we have two fantastic locations that are always hopping. Uh, our freight house location where the, where the beer is brewed and our tap room is also happens to be the location for our farmer's market, which runs from May through October. And on any given Saturday, you'll see 5,000 people down there. Oh my gosh. That's at eight one. in the morning, we've got people standing in line at our front door waiting to get growlers filled. Hmm. So, um, it's just a really unique uh, a really unique environment down here. And uh, we've been blessed to uh, have that opportunity to serve these customers and, and grow our business the way we have. Well, that's, that's really impressive. And, and from our first conversation, I wasn't aware of a couple of those businesses that, that you guys are operating. How do you, how do you break up your time and, and kind of apply yourself uh, in all those uh, different fronts? Well, from a business perspective, there's five days in the week. So yeah. We try to, we break, we literally break it down by the day tomorrow morning at nine o'clock, uh, our front street crew will come in and, and, uh, you know, it's our front street day. We're at the, we're at the pub and eatery every day. So, uh, again, we're, we're steps out the door to the restaurant. So we're there every day. We, we have a good handle of what's going on. We've got some fantastic people, uh, working for us, uh, general manager at each location who's, you know, responsible for, you know, drive it like you stole it. Right. I mean, right. they, they, uh, they get compensated to do, uh, you know, to, to run it like their own business and grow it. And, uh, they do a fantastic job. Uh, employees of course are, are a problem right now. People are experiencing that all over the country. Uh, just trying to keep kitchen staff, for example, wait staff, 
that's been a, a huge challenge. But um, unlike unlike many of the restaurants in downtown Davenport, we've we've managed to continue to stay open seven days a week. Many of our peers down here, in fact, today Monday is was when we bought Front Street, they were always closed on Monday because um, mm-hmm. just wasn't enough business. Well, we opened back up seven days a week, and now Monday has become. Uh, almost as busy as a Friday for us because every other restaurant in downtown Davenport's closed. And generally, they're closed Sunday, Monday, Tuesdays, Monday, mm-hmm. Tuesday, Wednesday because they can't get the help. And um, somehow we've managed to keep the help and have managed to keep our doors open. And we've been rewarded by you know uh, that, the business that, that follows. Fortunately, our brewing operations uh, we run a pretty skinny crew over there because uh, we just only have so much capacity. Um, we do have uh, uh, we do have a small uh, brew house that we're able to experiment on, um, and a 15 barrel uh, brew house that uh, that we do our production runs on you know, at least here at our location. And uh, so here's where we build new beers, come up with new ideas, and often if they become a production beer, we we send that up to Potosi for mm-hmm. for uh, the um, production runs. That's that's pretty cool. And and as I as you were talking, I was I was thinking a little bit. Uh, you mentioned you had GMs at each of your locations, and um, do they? I'm assuming they carry full full profit and loss responsibility for the absolutely establishment. Yeah. yeah. So food cost, you know, uh, food costing, uh, beer and booze costing, uh, labor, uh, they're responsible for everything. And our Tuesday meetings, we simply uh, we simply review that data keep them guided in the right direction, provide them, you know, advice and assistance wherever we can. I mean, we, we've also gone down to the brewery when we've had the mobile canner there and, and, you know, have pulled cans off the line and packed four right. packs and put them on the truck. I mean, we're, you know, we're hands-on whatever it needs. You know, if, if we happen to be in the restaurant and it's busy, you know, and we don't have a host, someone jumps up and, you know, is seating customers or wiping down tables, uh, jumping back in the kitchen to help when necessary. So, you know, we uh, do whatever needs to be done to be successful. Um, same goes for other businesses. I mean, it's, you know, a matter of a day of the week, uh, we, again, good, putting good managers in place, paying them well. And, um, you know, we've got this philosophy that, uh, you know, good people don't need to be managed. Um, I don't like managing people. I, I don't right. like having employees. I, I, I kind of like having partners that, that, you know, all, we all have the same goal. And, mm-hmm. you know, the way we look at it is if you have to be managed, uh, you're not the right person for us. Um, I would rather people come in and, and uh, you know, uh, be able to do whatever it takes to be successful, be compensated appropriately for it. And if they can do that in, you know, uh, in 40 hours a week or 20 hours a week, I really don't care as long as we are doing what we need to do. Um, same goes with our, you know, we, we call them beer ambassadors. This is such a a strange business that your 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 salespeople can't actually sell anything because it has to go through distribution. We can't actually take an order, so we call them beer ambassadors. And same thing, they have an objective, um, and as long as they're if, as long as they're meeting those numbers, I don't care if they do it, you know, in one day a week, and they take they go golf the rest of the week. It really doesn't matter. Um, that all we're managing is the results, and that's you know what ultimately pays the bills. Right. Well, I like that. And um, are you are you guys hiring that that talent that already has? It sounds like you are hiring people who already have that capability and skill set. 
rather than hiring for the person and, and training them up. Is that a fair statement? Um, I, I would say that uh, most everybody in those roles were, were folks that had some experience. Uh, for example, our general manager at our pub and eatery, she was a server when we bought the business. And um, we had we had hired a, a, a seasoned manager to come in and because and, the Steve's wife, Jenny, used to be the manager and they left, they retired. So uh, we needed to have somebody replace her and we hired a seasoned manager and uh, honestly, it failed miserably. And we, we went to uh, Christy, uh, who was a server and, uh, you know, she's a mom, husband's a police officer, you know, she's just she's a normal person. And, you know, she said, I can do this. And she did. And she's been doing it ever since. And she does a fantastic job. And, um, our tap room manager, she, uh, she was a sales rep for AT&T and you no know, single gal, uh, you know, 50 ish loves to, uh, you know, just loves to be around people. And, uh, we took a chance and we hired her and she's, she's almost, uh, she's, she's doubled our business at the tap room. Wow. Uh, she books, she books entertainment and, uh, and, uh, it's just a fun environment that people enjoy being in. It doesn't hurt that, uh, our location is, uh, you know, I, I may be biased, obviously, but you could probably ask anybody. But it, it, there are things about the, this Quad City area that are kind of iconic. And when you see an image of it, you go, oh, that's the Quad Cities. And one is the Centennial Bridge. It's an old bridge that crosses the, uh, the Mississippi. Uh, another is our ballpark, uh, originally John O'Donnell Stadium. Now it's called Modern Woman Park. But uh, if you look it up, it's the number one minor league ballpark in the country. Um, those are literally right outside our door. So, and then of course the Mississippi river. So when you're sitting on the, uh, the boardwalk outside of our, our brewery, you're seeing all those things that are, you know, iconic quad cities. So, uh, and then, you know, you got the river rolling by, you got trains, you have everything that, that is this area and you can see it all from our, our boardwalk and, um, uh, bike paths, uh, uh, you know, bicycles and beer just go together for some reason and we've got hordes <laughs> of them so uh it's a phenomenal location for that and um you know again we're we're the only guys down there and we would never leave for those reasons you know yeah davenport iowa man it sounds it sounds majestic and uh, and really really nice to you know I, I love anything that has has a a pier a beer and water there you go <laughs> you know? yeah what it's else could you want it is tough to beat that, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, this, this area has been through hell over the years. I, I failed to mention, by the way, that in uh, 2019, uh, what is that now? Three years ago, we had another devastating flood and, uh, we, uh, we bought the office building we're sitting in in 2014 and the city had gotten very, um, very good at, um, building flood, uh, protection. Mm-hmm. And they, I don't know if you ever heard of a HESCO barrier, but it's what you know, the military uses when they build walls around compounds, you know, in the Middle East. Now, they're great big wire baskets that have a liner and they fill them with sand and they'll uh-huh. stack them tall and wide. And so they're pretty stout. And mm-hmm. the city uh, it deploys that system uh, here along our, literally right down the road uh, to hold the floodwaters back. Back in the day, they used to build earthen berms, cover it with plastic and sandbags and those didn't hold up very well in the big water. So they switched yeah. to this HESCO barrier system and it's done a fantastic job. Hmm. In fact, in 2014, when we bought this building, we were, we were in the midst of a flood and I, I stood behind that, you know, five foot tall barrier 
And, you know, if you could reach across the other side, you could dip your fingers in the water. That's how tall the water was wow. right against where you were standing. And so we, we, we've, we've lived with it. And it's been, it's been working fine until 2019. Uh, we had record flooding that year. The city should have done some things differently with that barrier system and they didn't. And, um, we were, uh, we were under threat of that barrier, uh, failing. It had been up for so long. They weren't designed to hold water back for, you know, a month. And, you know, it was a month and counting The waters weren't going down and there were weak spots forming in that barrier. And, uh, there was a massive amount of water pressure built up in the storm sewers and underground. And we had already closed the restaurant. This was on a Monday. We'd closed the restaurant and we were manning pumps in our basement to keep the groundwater out. And, uh, fortunately, um, no one was around. We, you know, the restaurant was empty. There were customers down here. Uh, I think the fire department came through on, on Monday and said, Hey, um, probably not a good idea to have people in the building because we're worried about this wall. And I think, um, on Tuesday we continued to man the pumps and my two partners and I had stepped outside, which the, this barrier was 30 feet from the front of our building. Uh, so we stepped outside out front of our building, standing behind the wall and we're just, uh, shooting the breeze as we were. Uh, doing the handoff to our young partner who was going to man the pumps overnight. And uh, uh, at that very moment, I watched the, the wall collapse oh. and uh, it, it collapsed about uh, 75 yards up river from us. And we just stood there in awe. Uh, think, you know, you just, it just took a minute to register what just happened. And then we saw the wall of water heading towards us and we, we ran um, three different directions. Uh, our young partner ran into the basement of the restaurant, the worst possible place to run to, where he uh, made three trips. He, he grabbed all of our cash. He grabbed our computers, our POS servers, and drug all that stuff up to his truck. Uh, and on the third trip up, the water was cascading, pouring down the stairs uh, as he made his way up those stairs with, with our computers. And, and then all we could do was sit and watch. And by the time it had settled, um, we had a, a uh, 18 inches of water standing on the main floor of the restaurant and, of course, nine feet of basement filled with water below that. Uh, we had a full dining room, prep kitchen, and food storage in that basement. And, um, mm. you know, it just happened in a matter of seconds. And um, there was nothing we could do except wait till the water receded and then begin the cleanup and, and rebuild process, which we did. So the pub and eatery was closed for seven months. In 2019, we finally opened up. I think we got back open in October uh, or November of 2019. Most of the damage and, re and rebuild was covered by flood insurance, which we all have to pay for down here. And um, our office building was affected and closed. We had eight inches of water standing in our office building, which sits a little higher. Fortunately, the freight house, again, just four blocks uh, west of where I'm sitting, the, the building sits up considerably higher. So the water never made it into the building at the freight house. So our, our crew was able to wade in and, and waiters and man the beer. We, we were able to maintain power down there and water. And we had, you know, uh, 900 gallons of beer uh, in, in tanks that uh, had to be uh, manned. Sorry, times five, 4,500 gallons of beer in tanks that had to be manned. And um, yeah, we, we made it through. And then... <laughs> we recovered from the flood. And guess what happens in 2020? COVID. Uh, COVID. Yeah. So uh, we've been getting hammered down here. And uh, 
but you know what? COVID hit, restaurant closed, and um, uh, the beer business just picked up. People who must have been at home drowning their sorrows because we were shipping beer by the semi loads, and uh, it hasn't slowed down. And uh, of course, that's all changed in Iowa. You know, well, the restaurants have opened back up, and and uh, we've we've more or less uh, fully recovered back to normal business at the restaurant location. And the beer business has uh, stayed at a staggering pace. Yeah, that's that's one of the things we've seen. You know, seen a, a trend in the in the industry is um, um, beer or alcohol sales have have done very well. And the fact that you guys were well positioned in the distribution business allowed you to take advantage of of that onslaught of demand. And uh, talk about diversification. Had you not had that, you know, what would you have? You'd had You'd been closed. No, we'd have, yeah, we'd have been we'd have been in trouble. Uh, you know, financially yeah. that would have been tough to swallow. You know, it's funny we um, you know just we went to the, the the takeout model like everyone else did at the restaurant. So we had skeleton crew. Uh, it was literally just down to our manager and our chef. They mm-hmm. would cook and you know deal with customers and run it out to their cars. And we um, we were sold beer by you know the, the the half gallon growlers. They were going out the door as fast as we could fill them. And uh, we ordered, uh, and we went through almost 3,000 growlers, uh, basically until we couldn't order growlers anymore. They, everybody ran out because everybody wised up and said, oh, man, that's a way to get rid of all this beer. And um, so nearly 3,000 growlers during the, the COVID shutdown um, uh, was just amazing how much beer we went through. Um, so, yeah, we, when there's a will, there's a way. We've, we've figured it out, so. Yeah, and, and you had to adapt and, and just like everyone else and um, and make changes. But but again, thank goodness for the, the diversification you guys have kind of built into the business uh, as the distribution piece has grown. Uh, you're brewing, you're distributing, you're retailing essentially in the in the restaurants and the tap the tap house or tap room. Um, and that's it's a lot to to kind of manage and and but again, thank goodness for it with all the tragedies and the, between the flood and COVID and everything else, the last few years have been, have been really challenging. Yeah, um, sure not only for you, but for other folks down there on front street and, and, oh, and yeah. Davenport. everybody, yeah, everybody took it in the shorts uh, after that flood and then the, the COVID uh, many businesses didn't recover at all. They, they've closed for good. Yeah. Interestingly, the, um, the 2019 flood, there's a there's a plaque on the wall from the 1993 flood that marked the high water line inside the building, and we put another one up from the 2019 flood. And the 2019 flood was three quarters of an inch higher than the 1993 mm. flood. So uh, two of the worst floods in uh, history here, and uh, the restaurant uh, succumbed to it both times. So well, hopefully, hopefully we're a long ways from the next one. Uh, that's all we can we can do is is hope and pray on that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and uh, and and get more uh, more Hesco barriers. <laughs> we got a new plan now. We're we're excited about that. One thing the city has done is, uh, you know, they've uh, myself and a number of other peers are part of uh, the local, you know, committee uh, to discuss these future flood plans. And uh, yeah. um, you know, they've they've definitely been listening, and they've got some good plans. It's just unfortunately, you know, these plans take time and money, and uh, no one's prepared to do. Uh, you know, to spend the kind of money that's necessary to, to do what they need to do. Yeah. And, you know, other rivers or other communities along the river here, uh, you know, built, you know, permanent flood walls and things like that. And Davenport chose not to do that, partly because the riverfront is 
very important to businesses downtown. And it's why it's people come down here. They want to see that water, just like you said, a, a beer, a pier and water. And that's what we've got. And, you know, yeah, it's a, it's, it can be real pain when we're dealing with a flood situation, but you know, in the big scheme of things that happens so seldom, it's just not worth, you know, taking that all away. Uh, yeah. and, you know, the, the, the floods can be devastating. I mean, there was hundreds of millions of dollars worth of damage here. And, um, you know, you just got to think of better ways to mitigate that moving forward. And, and that's what the city's doing now, I think. And, but, you know, there are a lot of naysayers that would rather have the city, you know, or the feds come in and build a, a berm and uh, protect the downtown. But um, those of us that earn our living down here don't want to see that happen. Yeah, it's uh, a catch-22 in a lot of, in a lot of instances. But, um, hey, um, I just realized I was, I was having such a good time listening to the story and all the, the different challenges that you faced so far that I uh, just realized what our, where our time's getting to. So I want to be respectful for you. I know you've got other commitments this morning. Um, but one last question before before we kind of roll out of, roll out of this particular podcast and and I'm just kind of curious with and I've been asking most of uh, most of the restaurant owners we're talking to how you're how you're handling the um, the food cost issue because of course we've got shortages but we've also got you know significantly rising food prices are you and my, my question is are you guys uh, absorbing that are you passing it to customers uh, are you finding money in other spots kind of how, how are you addressing that particular issue well i think we're i think we've held out as long as we can we've, we've done all the things you just said we've absorbed it we've found we've we've found cost to cut in other areas but um we can't anymore we're, we're at the end of the rope and uh, i think the next step is we're going to have to increase the, the retail prices to the customer. And quite honestly, we've just been waiting for somebody else to do it first. And if that doesn't work, you know, cause you know, you know, it's, we're already selling, you know, $12 cheeseburgers. I mean, what, what the hell can you do? I mean, you know, we're things like fryer oil, you know, we, we, it's doubled in price. French fries doubled in price. Uh, chicken wings off the charts. I mean, tripled in price. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you you look at these things and, uh, you know, when you're talking about a food cost, normally it, a burger and fries, you, you maybe got, you know, 60 cents food costs in your fries. Well, now it's $1.20. Well, you got to make a 30% margin on, you know, you got to have your food costs around 30% or the model doesn't work. Uh, people think that uh, there's, you know, you got fat profits in the restaurant business, but I'm here to tell you when a third of it goes to food costs and a third of it goes to employees, all you got left is a third to pay for all the overhead and try to eke a profit out of that. And we're not, we're not making a profit on, on the restaurant right now. We've, we've been happy to only be losing a few thousand dollars a month going into winter. That's going to be a problem. We're going to be in the, you know, potentially 20 to 30,000 a month losses in the winter time. Um, you know, we, we always experience losses in the winter, but we can't continue to do it because we're absorbing the cost of, you know, overpriced food. Right. And if that doesn't work, then we're talking about a complete rehab of our 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 pub model. Uh, you know, we, we consider what we do upscale pub food. You know, you can come in here and you can get a you know, we have a few entrees, you know, a salmon entree and a, a chicken entree and, a, a you, know, uh, you know, fish tacos and fish and chips and things like that. But, right. you know, if I sit down and look at what we sell the most of, it's burgers, burgers and fries. And we may have to move to a a more of a real bar food model where you're serving burgers out of paper baskets and, 
and you know tossing trash and you're not you don't have to have pay a dishwasher and you know between food and, and labor right now it's it's tough to run a business and the yeah. people i do have working for us we're running them ragged and uh that's not fair to them um so we got to figure something different out well, uh, I think you're exactly right. And, and you know, I guess the sweet spot, like you said, for prime costs, um, is going to be around 60% or, or preferably in the old days, even better, Yeah, um, you know, between 55 and 60, but I don't know that anyone's operating it at 60 and below anymore. I don't think uh, so. And, uh, so it, it really does make it difficult to, to find any net profit at the end of the month. And, uh, like you yeah. said, you're absorbing losses and, and that can't go on forever. So, um, hopefully things will change in the very near future. People will get back to work. Um, food prices will become more reasonable. Um, and, and labor too, because labor rates are, you know, are high too right now. So, you know, you've got they double, are. double whammies. They are. And we're on, uh, you know, we're on this bi-state region and Illinois is, is, uh, you know, they've got this plan to be at a $15 minimum wage by 2020, uh, I think it's 2023. 2024. So three more years, that, that minimum wage bumps to 15 an hour. Now that doesn't affect our servers, but it certainly affects our kitchen staff. Mm-hmm. And even the even the uh, server wage, uh, minimum wage is going to jump up to, I believe it's $9 an hour by, by that same time frame. So when you're talking about a, a server minimum wage in Iowa of $4 an hour, um, you double that in Illinois. Um, typical, you know, dishwasher in Iowa was making eight to 10 bucks an hour. And now the minimum is going to be 15 in Illinois. Well, you know, one of two things is going to happen. Everybody who lives in Iowa is going to start working in Illinois or mm-hmm. those Illinois businesses are going to have to close because people won't be able to afford. I mean, why would you, I mean, literally I can, I can look out my window and I can see Illinois and vice versa. They can see Iowa. So why would I spend 15 or $17 for a cheeseburger in Illinois if I could come across the river and do it for 10? So something's going to happen. And um, I don't know what yet. And it's just, it's a weird environment. You know, Iowa has, uh, the, the Iowa governor has shut off the, the extra $300 a week unemployment. And we thought that would have sent people back out to the workplace, but it hasn't. And, uh, and we're still, you know, the applicants are still kind of the bottom of the barrel applicants. And, you know, they'll, you know, they'll come to work and they'll work one or two days and, you know, they'll walk out on a smoke break and then you won't even see them. They're gone. Mm-hmm. They'll come back. And, you know, try to manage that from a scheduling perspective. Yeah. You know, the guy who were relying on on the grill back there just left after yeah. his smoke break. Yeah, no matter how much. Up say, Where, where'd you go? Ah, it just wasn't for me. Well, that's not how this works. Yeah, you know? yeah no, no amount of technology and uh, and scheduling software is going to help with that, is it? No. 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 Gotta, I mean, gotta... that's why I think, you know, the big guys are, are getting into automation. And I don't know how a little guy does that. You know, we, we can't afford to have you know, robot hamburger flippers uh, yeah. like McDonald's again, but you know, uh, it takes people to run these businesses and we got to have people that want to work. Yeah, exactly. I, I keep hearing, you know, customers, you know, we just, people just don't have the patience or the sympathy. Uh, if you want to, if you show up on a, you know, a Friday evening and you want to eat, the last thing you want to hear is there's an hour wait and you look around the room and see empty tables and they say, Oh, how the hell is that possible? You got empty tables. Well, it's not the tables, it's the kitchen. And then their response is, well, maybe you should pay your employees more. It's not a matter of money. I mean, we're paying, we've got, we've got kitchen help that worked for us three or four years ago that earned 10 and $12 an hour, who we've offered $20 an hour to, to come work again. And they refuse. Hmm. So it's not a matter of money. 
It's, it, it's a whole new ball game. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think the, I think that a lot of people have left the, the industry, um, you know, the hospitality or food industry in terms of, of workforce. Um, and, you know, of course, those, those that haven't, you know, are locked in in place to wherever they are that's, that's treating them right already. And, and that's, that's right. what you want. But um, there's just no excess capacity there for, for more workforce. Uh, I'm not sure what the solution is. Automation would be great. But like you said, um, a mom and pop business can't afford you know, a $50,000 computer system to flip a burger, as you said. Right. So what do we do? I don't know. I don't think we're going to answer it today uh, here on the old local leaders podcast, but uh, as soon as we come up up with a good answer, we'll certainly share it with you. And, uh, and we appreciate, appreciate you, Tim, you know, bringing your perspective and your, um, you know, your, your broad background, um, to the forefront here for us and, and sharing your thoughts and ideas and, and stories, you know, about the business. Um, and again, we've been here today with, uh, with Tim Baldwin from Front Street Brewery. Uh, Tim's uh, a serial entrepreneur with multiple businesses that uh, he and his partners are running today. Um, and uh, Front Street, though, is, is, of course, there in Davenport, Iowa. And if you haven't had the opportunity to, to go down and have some of that, uh, some of those great beers, you need to get down there and try it. And, and I did make a note about the one, the cherry, is it the Cherry Blonde Bomb? Is cherry, right? cherry Bomb, Cherry Bomb Blonde. Cher- I got it backwards, Cherry Bomb Blonde. Yep. Uh, yeah, that, that sounds like something that, that we need to get up here in the North Carolina area. Uh, we're going to have to send to. those trucks a little further. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, uh, you know, I sincerely thank you, Tim, for being on today. And, and I've kept you a little longer than I meant to. Um, but thank you for, for coming on and sharing your story. Any departing comments or words of wisdom that you wanted to get out? No, no. I appreciate the time. Love sharing our story. Uh, of course, we'd love to have you and any of your listeners uh, stop in sometime and, and uh, see what we, we can do. And, uh, and uh, you know, just to, uh, appreciate the time. Uh, you're very welcome again, you you uh, Chicago folks, or you Illinois folk, I should say. Um, go across the river, have spend some time in Iowa, uh, Iowa at the Front Street Brewery with uh, with the team, and uh, enjoy some of that craft beer. Uh, you've got the tap room, you've got the brew pub. Uh, what's the website uh, again? Uh, www.frontstreetbrew.com. Frontstreetbrew.com. You can also find us on. Uh, Facebook and Instagram. Awesome. And, Not to and, be confused with our our friends in uh, North Carolina, also called Front Street Brewery. Yeah, and, uh, and I confused it the first time when we were looking it up. We were like, "Wait a minute, that's that's here down. That's in Wilmington, uh, that's which right. is which, which does have, I believe, it's either River Street or Front Street. I can't remember which, but uh, we're in Davenport, Iowa, ladies and gentlemen. So make sure you're in the right state when you go looking for <laughs> Tim and his team. But thank you again, Tim. I want to wrap us up and uh, we appreciate you and all of our listeners to the Local Leaders Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us and we hope you'll come back for our next episode. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Local Leaders Podcast. You can find us at www.jeffzpodcast.com or jeffzjohnson.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Thanks again for listening and be sure to come back every Monday and Wednesday for our next episode.